There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I am here uh, with a really awesome guest today who I'm very excited to talk about, uh, an amazingly talented chief marketing officer, also a mentor at Venture Lane, which is a startup hub, a member at Rev Genius, uh, and previously from Salsify, uh, which is um, a impressive, you know, very fast-growing unicorn status company where she uh, spent several years doing a lot of things on both the sales and the marketing side. So she's tactical, she's strategic. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome Courtney Ostermiel. Hello. Hi. Hi what Courtney. an in- what an intro. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I yeah, meant every word. Appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Happy to be here. Yeah, we were just talking pre-show about you know fast times, uh, the life, the lives of CMOs. I'm not myself a CMO technically, but I do not uh, envy it. A lot of our clients are just like on planes constantly, and um, so I feel you. Hopefully, this will be a fun and low stress period in your day. <laughs> Thank you for that. I could use that in a tank of chamomile tea right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, we want, we've got lots to talk about, but as usual, let's start. Uh, if you could tell us one of your best kept secrets to marketing success. Sure. Um So I think uh, for folks who might be looking for more metric uh, or data-driven tactics on uh, this podcast, I'm going the other direction with the with the secret sauce, and I I would say that it's actually more focused on like the wellness and the well-being of folks on um, the team within marketing and actually those that we engage with quite a bit across the organization. Um, and I would say that along with that very open lines of communication, which to me coincide with one another, they go hand in hand, but I would say that that's the, the secret sauce on, on my end. Yeah. And probably there's some people thinking like, like that's it. Like that's the sauce. Because we've heard that, right? And it sounds a little bit woo-woo, but you have a special approach to it, um, which actually makes it like an amazing investment if you think about if you think about it, because yeah. it drives retention, mm-hmm. right? And like yeah. what else what else is it that um, you know, is valuable other than just having an amazing team around you? Yeah. So um tell me just a little bit about like things that you do, how you go about it and how it actually um, leads to better retention. Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say that I have to give kudos to my dad, Rob, um, for, for some of this. So for a little bit of a little bit of background, my dad was an executive at Campbell Soup for a very long time. And over his career, he received executive coaching, uh, how to work with people better, right? Be more of a people person. And he was an army guy. So he was ROTC, 
He served in the army in Germany and in Italy. Uh, my guess is, is that he brought some of that to the office. Uh, he certainly brought it into my upbringing and it can be a little rigid, right? That's like, that's the point of um, how army forces are, are trained. And so over time, kind of came to a realization that being more mindful, more communicative, more of a people person, more aware of the, you know, the folks around him was really important. And that was something that he talked about quite a bit during my upbringing. Mm. And it didn't really hit me sort of the gravity of what he was talking about until I was in the workforce. Mm. And I was potentially working with people uh, for people or with people who were not mindful of those things and yeah. what it really did to myself, what it did to others, right? Like burnout is real and um, anxiety in the workplace is real. And when you're constantly battling ghosts, as I call them, to yeah. in the department, when you're battling ghosts, whether they're personal or professional, they will have a large impact on your happiness. And the reality is, is we spend more time at work and with the people at work than we do anywhere else in our lives. And so you're not managing that stress the way you say in your personal life, like people go running, they have journals, they go to therapy, they do all sorts of things to bring wellness to their personal lives. So like, why would we not apply something like that to where we're actually spending most of our day? Yeah. So that was sort of the inception of why I started focusing on things like this. Well, yeah. I mean, that sounds like it's been a long time coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you, um, what are some specifics? So it's like, okay, we want to be more mindful of others. We want to help them to, you know, not feel overwhelmed, not feel anxiety. Yeah. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, so some of the things when I was originally at Salsify, um, that we put into play and I give kudos to my, my old manager, um, Rob G at Salsify, where we started talking a little bit about, or a lot about, you know, what it takes to go from 30 million to 150 million to 500 million and do that in a short period of time. And there was an environment created for us there that I felt completely comfortable going to him and being like, there is burnout happening. This is happening. Um, We don't want to lose folks. Right. And he felt the same way. And so there was a book by Cal Newport, a world without email. And what's interesting in that book is it talks about like the hyper hive mind and it talks about multitasking and how, when you're in back-to-back meetings, you can do real work. You can't do deep work. You have residue, right. That's constantly like building up. And so the thought was like, what can we put in place very simplified to maybe help with this? And so one of the things that we implemented was like no meeting times. So there was twice a week where we were completely blocked off as a marketing department where you were not able to schedule meetings with us. It was time Um, one off like strategy meetings. okay, but like don't put reoccurring meetings on, et cetera. And then all of Fridays were no meeting Fridays just for deep work. And that's awesome. Yeah. And it started helping. Right. And it's something that we brought to constructor. Um, So from like a very sort of tactical level, right, like it might seem micro, but blocking off that heads down deep work time 
gets people a chance to just go, okay, yeah, I can get my work done. You know, like I yeah. scheduled an extra time for myself today to work on two things that I literally cannot be distracted on. And you need support around you to feel okay doing that. Um, you know, or during that time, if things are done, you know, or you have meetings, like take your meeting on a walk, get away from your computer, you know, um, start setting those boundaries for yourself where you can use the time wisely. We're adults, you know, learn to trust each other, but sometimes you actually do have to put things in place to just say, you know, no more or not at this time and leadership teaching folks that they can do that sort of trickles down the waterfall, which is, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, Rob G was on this show too. Shout was out he? To Rob. Yeah. He's the man. He's awesome. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right he, on. He talked about content and like basically to make it really, really good, like content that like you would pay for and publish that type of content yeah. regularly. Yeah. Yeah. He is. <laughs> he's got a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. He's cool. <laughs> I would love to see Rob on the road. Um, but yeah, I mean, that thing was, that was like pretty cool. And then, I would say the other element that's really important, right, is around communication. Um, it's not just like blocking off calendars. It's like literally creating a vi- like a safe environment, right? So um, I held a session upon the request of folks, right? This isn't like something I thought of on my own. And it was just about like personal experiences in the workplace. And I shared stories around... Um, like verbal, I guess I'll call it like verbal battery. I don't know. And like in the workplace, right. Of managers that I've had before that have been very tough Mm -hmm. and how I dealt with that and how I coped with it and what it taught me and when to recognize like when conversations are okay or not okay, or when you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, how do you handle that? How do you talk to a peer? How do you talk to a manager? How do you talk to HR? And what I noticed after this like all day session, right, that was around not just like product and sort of the first half of the year, but around boundary setting and personal experience and recognizing sort of the good, the bad and the ugly right of work communication and um, and, and those boundaries. I was approached quite a bit after the session, the days following um, about certain situations, right, that I didn't really know about. Um, And this was both personal and professional. It was like really interesting to see people sort of connect the dots between um, communication and boundaries in both the workplace and their personal lives and like how it can actually be applicable to both, right, from what we were talking about earlier. And so I brought a very similar fashion to Constructor. And what's been really interesting is, again, we're sort of in that like hyper growth mode that I was in when I started at Constructor, or sorry, when I, when I was at Salsify. And so you automatically know it's going to hit the fan. People are going to be stressed out. We're going to be overwhelmed. We're in hyper growth. This is like what we signed up for. And yeah. so having that experience at Salsify, I think it was really helpful coming in here because I was able to implement things like faster. I was able to have these types of conversations earlier And I got to tell you, my team is not shy to tell me to like back off, set a boundary, um, talk to me about being overwhelmed, right? Looking how to become more efficient as a team, like 
it is for the good part of regular conversations every single week. And every time somebody sets a boundary, I make an example of it in a good way. And I tell the entire department, this person gave this boundary and like, that is awesome. That's like what we want to see because we'll respect it. And it takes courage and bravery to get there. And then hopefully that person teaches another person down the line, right? And so you all start sort of learning as a community how to do things like that. Yeah. Um, And it just creates a safer environment, you know? I sometimes wish that I could get people to be more open with me. I feel like, you know, because I'm the founder, CEO, like like there's sometimes I'll ask somebody to do something. Yeah. And they'll think it's like an emergency, like they have to do it right away, sort mm-hmm. of a thing. Uh, but I, how do you get people to open up? Like, I'm certain that some of our team members have felt anxiety or, uh, you know, been felt overburdened by things that myself or others have asked them to do. But I, I don't. Oh, for sure they have. Yeah. And and I think that they will go to their a lot of times to their direct reports and potentially say something, but how do you get people to be like more open and honest about stuff like that? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I actually just had a similar conversation with, with my CEO about this too and how sort of across the board, not just in marketing, right. Do you get folks to start being able to have those conversations with other folks in other departments, right. At any level, And I think it's not, I think what's interesting about that is like, that's what people wanted constructor, right? And so number one, like communicating that outwardly is a really big step. Um, But when there is seniority in play like yourself, I think there's been a couple of things, small things that have made like a pretty big difference where I would, I question, I I guess I flip a question on you is when you're asking people for things, what do you say right before you ask? Are you like, this is an urgent dot, 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 or like, this is urgent. Like, do you specifically delineate between, I don't know what we call or what I've started calling things like yellow, orange, red, you know, like that's the level of urgency. Like I just said two slacks before this, where I was like, not urgent come back to me in like two weeks, set a reminder in your calendar, right? Yeah. Um, Small things like that have helped quite a bit, especially if they're like off hours slacks or like off hour emails, you know? Um, Scheduling things I think is really helpful, but, you know, those are sort of like smaller tactical things, but I would say from above, I don't know. I'd be curious how folks would react if you yourself had like a session with the company around personal experiences in the workplace, right? Like you weren't always in the seat that you're in and you probably struggled with other people in the workplace. Like how much insight to that part of you do folks have? Like there's a level of vulnerability, right? That you've got to put out there sometimes to get people to reciprocate that. And then like feel connected to you a little differently because then they're relating. So that's what I would, that would be my thought or suggestion. It is a little kumbaya-y. Yeah. I just wonder how, how to do that without people being like, this is weird. Like, why is he doing this? You know, like literally say that, right? Like you get on and you're like, Hey, 
I would love, right, if we were as like a company to start thinking about like a cultural shift around X, Y, Z. And you might be thinking, just call it out. Like you might be thinking this is maybe a little like strange or why am I doing this? And it's because I'm just being more mindful of you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a story and hopefully like you can walk away with X, Y, Z or it facilitates more conversation or openness, but I don't know. I I have lost the want to like filter much anymore from that sense. And just people love it when you just like call it what it is, I think. It's, yeah, it's challenging, think right. right? And it also depends on like your company culture and I think the size and and the whatnots, but um I don't know. I think you could just come out and say, you might think this is super weird different, and we've never done anything like this before, but here we are. And maybe it could be like a real kumbaya session with like other managers and leaders telling stories too. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause like, you know, you've been through the trenches and these people are like going through their own in their mind, right. Trenches of some sort. Um, And I don't know. It's just like something that's super relatable can help folks. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to talk about constructor a little bit. Sure. Um, one last thing on the this is kind of a random and micro question. Okay. But in terms of boundaries and setting boundaries and celebrating the the setting of boundaries, like I think that sends a really strong message, right? Like if I were to do that a couple times, I think people would be like, whoa, like it's okay uh, to share boundaries here. You know, like it's it's celebrated, Um, which, you know, I'd never thought of that. Uh, I would never probably do that in a million years, but what's an example of a boundary? Like the one that you celebrated recently, can you tell us what it was? Yeah, hundred percent. So I sent a text message to someone on my team, one of my directors. It was like a Thursday at like 6.30 p.m. And I said, hey, like I just got off my flight. I don't remember where I was coming back from, somewhere for work. And I said, I know it's like a little bit later. It's been a tough week. Um, Do you have like five minutes to chat about X, Y, Z? And she wrote back and she said, today's been like a pretty brutal day at work. I'm going to have to say no. You and I will be able to talk in the morning. And that was it. And I wrote back and I was like, I literally said, I love the boundary. I completely respect it. And I appreciate that you did that, you know? Um, And that was helpful for me because we have, we have a strong relationship, right? But like, to what extent, right? Where you want the person to be like, yeah, I'll get on that phone for five minutes, six, 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 thirty. I actually appreciate the strength of relationship to go the other way, which is I literally like I'm not going to do this today. And I was like, cool. yeah. And then she messaged me in the morning and she thanked me for what I said around the boundary. And then on our team meeting the following week, I brought it up. I said, I text this person. I said who it was, um, gave the response that she had given me and And I was like, and I go and this is like a direct example of when we talk about communication and upward management and boundaries, like this is a perfect example. And I will respect that boundary. 
And I mean, it wasn't like sort of the first time where people had set boundaries or raised their hand and asked for help, right? Like there was a reason I'm doing the PowerPoint presentation right now. And this is because there's a part of my team that is stretched too thinly. And they were able to raise their hand and say, I'm underwater. This would help immensely. No problem. Right. But again, it's like, it can't be the, the cart before the horse sort of a situation. Like you do have to work really hard as a manager or a culture to build up that safe zone where they can ask for help and they can tell you no over a text message. And um, I'm really grateful for that. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's the transparency, the vulnerability, the get a little weird, you know, with like what professionally you're sort of sharing over your time that people might not expect has helped deliver that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly impressive, especially because you've been there, I think, less than a year. Mm-hmm. So to have that kind of openness Six and communication months. already. Yeah, yeah. Seven months. Yeah. That's really impressive. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you should write a book. <laughs> Seriously. I should write a book for a lot of other reasons than this. <laughs> but think about the... Um, so, and this is the last thing we'll say about that. Then I want to hear about Constructor. But, um, sure. but think of the two scenarios, right? Like, like in the example that you gave, say that the uh, your team member accepted that call. And she was like halfway resentful on that, you know, not really probably listening, certainly not appreciating it, yeah, you know? And like, so she goes away feeling poorly in that. Whereas if she speaks up and then she indeed gets the space, then she will not feel poorly. Then she would feel good. And that's where the power of it is, you know? Yeah. But that's, and I think as you're talking, it's kind of crystallizing for me is that the key is to somehow elicit or solicit that information like via openness and Mm -hmm. being a little weird sometimes it sounds like but it is like a toss-up right because she could have gone either way and she was like probably even i mean even if i was like responding i think to my boss right sending the like no text she was probably feeling a little bit of anxiety right and then like but the moment she got the cool man like we're good. She was probably like, oh, right, I can do this. You know, I can't have this boundary. And, but she knew enough, I think, to 90% know the response she was going to get from me. Otherwise, to your point, like, I think someone would have just taken the call and then felt crappy about it. And, right. yeah, and it's an interesting, because it is something like from an executive team level that we've talked about. And it actually brought us to create a communications document for the rest of the organization around async communication, sort of what's expected and when, from what levels of people, um, because it's, you know, it's something like I've brought up a couple of times. And then other department leaders were like, actually, yeah, like we're hearing it in my department too, of when someone's super senior What's the expected time, wait time when I have to reply? Or do I have to reply on a weekend? We're a fully remote company. You know, we're in over 30 countries and however many time zones that is. Um, And so even just like putting it out there to the organization, like, hey, we recognize it. We're thinking about it. We've tried to put something in, you know, documentation to help guide you, but like do as you see fit. 
does show the company like we're not blind to the fact that we're in this growth mode, but we are aware, right, that you should expect there to be tough times with what we're doing, but we're aware of it. And we yeah. want to mitigate as much mental angst as, you know, as possible. Um, but there are going to be tough times where you like got to roll up your sleeves and have, you know, tough skin and grind. And, um, but at the same time, like balance is super critical to keep people here. Right. And to, to keep that growth going, because if they're not all there, like you can't expect to get, you know, the a hundred percent out of them. Yeah. It's such a challenging thing to like lead and manage teams. It's like way harder than marketing in my view. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's yeah. the hard part, right? Yeah. I it is. It is. And it's trial by error, right? Like where, you know, I've seen folks put documents together on like how to work with that person and they intended to be mindful of people on this is how you should work with me. And it actually like the document just didn't go over well with people, you know? And so I think the important thing is people try and you will learn what sticks. You will learn what works for your company and your, you know, your culture. And, um, but then for each individual person, like we have folks across my team that are open books I'm very similar to that. And then you have folks that are more reserved and like you need to understand their needs on a different basis than each individual. So yeah, like I agree, it's it's tough when you're looking at 10, 20 people and starting to have to like really understand how each one needs to communicate and receive feedback and give feedback and like that environment by their predispositions and their blueprint that they grew up with is going to be different to the next. Like every person perceives looking at a green tree different, you know, or a a work conversation differently. It's just, it's how we're built from a psychological aspect. So yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into that as a manager for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we could keep going on that topic, but I want to talk a little bit about constructor. Um, I know some things about you, of course. Um, uh, I know you work with e-coms, AI search, and product discovery, uh, which I know is a pretty crowded space. But I also know that you guys are just killing it. Like you're growing like gangbusters. Yeah. You know, hundred percent annual clip kind of gangbusters. Yeah. What's going on? What's working so well over there? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's accurate. It is gangbusters. Um, I think when there's a couple of things that I find to be super unique about constructor and, and I'll give it to them. I talked to constructor for a while, um, before, before coming over and there were things that started coming out in the conversations that I found very unique for this space and for how the organization is run. From a product standpoint, um, you know, we definitely have some larger competitors that have been in the space longer than Constructor. But what's kind of wild about Constructor is like you have two engineers that built the product from the ground up based on challenges that like they literally had 
in their day jobs as people using search and product discovery tools. And when you have folks like that building it who are still around, you end up with folks who are highly innovative and visionary, but also like humble at the same time because they're building it for people like themselves or yeah. like they once were. And I loved that story around it. And um, there's also some funny things of like, they tried to get, I think they tried to get funding from like, what is it? Y Incubator. And, mm. but they were originally rejected. But then they showed we were at a offsite in Mexico in February. Also very cool about the culture. They took the whole company to Mexico in February. Um, the companies that got funded that year. And it was, it was just kind of, it was kind of a funny thing. So, you know, like learning the quirkiness, but also the, um, the humble aspect and the innovation behind the inception of the company and that they only wanted to tailor the product for e-commerce, for enterprise e-commerce. We're the only one in our space that is built for e-commerce. Every other player in our space plays for other industries outside of e-commerce. So um, I loved that about, about Constructor because our our product, our R&D, our focus, our roadmap is focused in one group and no one else can say that, which means like in the long run, there is a chance, right, that we have a better experience for our customers because we're not focused on other spaces and a lot of our revenue yeah. is R&D. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's still pretty cool to me. Hence why yeah. I'm well, it's, I mean, I th- I'd say it's very important, right? Because, yeah. and, and it's a good story. Anytime the story is like, Hey, we experienced this ourselves. And so we built yeah. the product that we wished we'd had kind of story. That's how yeah. Shopify got started too. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah. So very similar story. And, um, you know, and I love that our founders are still here. Ellie, my boss, right. One of the co-founders is still like, grinding in engineering and the product roadmap and place oh, awesome. VR and, you know, own ops. yeah, like it's just like the humble factor of this guy is wild. And it's so fun watching him. Like we were in um, London the other week for like an analyst day and having sort of the founder engineer side. And then myself as like marketing, it's just like a really interesting dynamic because I end up learning so much from his side of the house and his vision for the company that I feel very grateful of like getting that exposure to, but then, and it's important because then we get to like market it to the world. Right. And get it into two market teams. Um, The other really interesting thing about constructor, and I feel good talking about this now because I've been here for a little bit and I like get the product now past Mm -hmm. me four months ago, I would not have been able to speak to this. Um, So conventionally over time, um, Keyword search was basically like the de facto way to do search and product discovery, like literally like what you're typing in and searching. Yeah. Then vector search, right, came about where you're typing in and then vector search is like, oh, well, this word relates to this word and this word relates to this word, right? So you could type in the word chip and you end up getting like a sack of potatoes because vector right. search like put those two together. Yeah. Or computer, like latent right? semantics. Exactly. Right. Um. And while we use those as signals, we instead use like human behavior clickstream data 
to base essentially what companies are getting back when people are searching and then what we're recommending through the product. And we're also the only company to have clickstream data. So Mm -hmm. while we use the other two for signals, what you find when you go head to head with us, um, you know, with homegrown or like legacy is that knock on wood, we've never lost an AB test head to head since we've been in market about five years. Um, and it is something we we highly recommend when folks are looking at constructor. Mm. We want you to test us before you buy us. It's yeah. like part of our it's like part of our cycle, right? And we want you to we want to be proven wrong. Um, and it's you know people might be like, oh, is that like a little like ego driven? And it's like no, like you're investing, you know, finances in an organization. You should know it works. And this is like your website, right? This is your D2C website. Like this is what you're putting out into the world. And so do you really want to buy a software that like isn't doing you justice? So we yeah. do feel confident in going, you know, against um, against other folks within an A-B test. So I thought that was pretty cool because it is like very rare that folks don't go with us after Interesting. the test. Yeah. That's awesome. So like a very basically, small amount where I was like, as a marketer and a salesperson at heart, when I found out how few people end up not going with us after an A-B test, I was like, okay, yeah. I should probably go here. <laughs> Try us out. Right. Um, yeah. So it essentially, the the part that's, that's superior is that instead of just like a keyword match or latent semantics, it is like looking at that search query, but then also just analyzing hundreds or thousands of individuals and see that like nobody's clicking on the sack of potatoes. They're actually clicking on like the Lays tortillas or, or whatever. Yeah. Tortillas. You know? yeah. yeah. Um, and so thereby it like optimizes itself over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed yeah, to just does. being like more linear and yeah. rules bound. Yeah. And then from like an ethical standpoint, right. If, if you have like a, a, a profile and the company that's working with us, like you've given that information right to that company and they want to use that information. Otherwise, like we pride ourselves sort of on the zero party data usage, right? Which to your point is just general clicks of information that we can gather from like a region or a type of user or whatever it is, right? From like mm-hmm. a data standpoint, um, we don't really infringe on like that privacy, essentially, um, which is what is really unique about um, our AI and our clickstream information is because we do have the ability to do it um, sort of a zero party way as well um, and still get highly unique and lifted results when folks start using it. Wow. And you guys have some huge client or customers, Target, Sephora. Yeah, Target, Sephora, Bonobos, Backcountry. Wow. the very group. Yeah. Globally it's, yeah, it's, there's some big, some big hitters. It's very That's exciting. impressive. So how are you guys um, getting these? Like, is like, what are your top channels? Is it mostly web or partner driven or yeah. events and community? Yeah. Um, it's, it's mainly um, events for us. We've seen a pretty big increase in the last six months around events um, we've got some good traction around paid inbound, which is really great. Um, we use a very cool company called Web Mechanics as our <laughs> paid agency. Um, <You> don't say. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nobody paid me to say that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, that that's made a huge difference for us around our branded campaigns. And, um, you know, and I think that that like increase in market awareness, right, is is also now getting us to be in more conversations and sales cycles and more folks are recognizing who we are at events. Um, and so that that investment has been really good for us with both the increase around um around paid and within events. And from a partner ecosystem standpoint, we've got some good traction there. We just launched our partner webpage, um, which folks can take a look at our, you know, our core partners and what we're doing with them from like an event standpoint and ghostwriting and and those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. certainly sort of an untapped world, right, that we're we're really excited to dive into. Very cool. Well, I'm really excited for you guys. It looks like, I mean, you're just kicking butt and taking names. Um, <laughs> yes, and, we want more names. So. Yeah, some more names. Yeah. Oh, hey, this is random, but I thought you would like it. Best sure. BDR outreach play ever is if you have any BDRs that speak another language, like myself yeah. and my partner, we speak Farsi. Our parents are from Iran, like Persian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a very short, cold email from Ramp. I don't know if you know the uh, yeah. the company, but they do really clever like outreach or outbound stuff. Um, and it was it was very short, but it just used Farsi like in a funny way. It was like, "Hey, I don't mean to bother you. I know the only thing worse than like talking about credit card processing is eating cold fish in June, like the day after. Fish in June's like a Persian dish that would yeah. be horrible cold, you know." <laughs> So like, it was just something a little like that. And immediately when my partner got it, he was like, this guy wins best cold email ever. Oh, I love that. I do appreciate that. And I will take that back because we do, we do have some, we have some BDRs who speak multiple languages. Also my boss, I think speaks seven languages. Ellie does. Yeah. Ellie's a wizard. And since he's BDRing, I'll tell him. (laughs) I could send you, that's what made me think of it. Cause it sounded like a, like a, you know, not American name, but, um, yeah, I love that. But the uh, I can send you the exact copy. The funny thing is like... Yeah, I want it. I um, was actually going to like Google their marketing after we got off the call. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So Yeah, like even yeah. throughout. So my, my partner responded and was like, okay, fine, you got me. So like even throughout the process of like scheduling the meeting or what have you, he continued yeah. using like funny little Persian colloquialisms. Like really? you could tell he was like very fluent in it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Good for them. I'll send right. it to you. Shout right out to this. the ramp BDR on this on this meeting. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, Court, do you want to keep going? Uh I mean I could I could go ad nauseum, but I, I know that you have a lot of stuff going on and I know it's almost the end of the day. Yeah. Uh maybe we end could... of your day. <laughs> oh, are you on the West Coast? Nope. Oh yeah. Oh, you're it's on the one East of Coast. those days, right? Insert who is it? Monica that sings that song. Just one of them days. Yeah. Yeah. That's my theme song for the day for all of you millennials out there listening to this. Just go yeah. play by Monica. Yeah. Well, real quick. So we'll do the lightning round where I'll ask you uh, the three questions that I ask every guest at the end. Okay. Yeah. Um, but before we get there, just one more thing on constructor because I am curious about. Uh, like your top challenges, like what what is it that you're just kind of banging your head against the wall or keeping you up at night? Yeah. Uh, if anything. Market awareness. Like we are honestly like the best kept secret. Um, 
this is why we hired a marketing team six months ago, you know? And I think that being almost five years to market right now, when you're going up against folks with decades of experience and bigger budgets, right? That's super challenging. Like, I'll give you a perfect example of sort of like a, a very a, a small but large struggle that that I'm it's happening with me right now, and I'm I'm actually writing a LinkedIn post about this because I'm sure I'm not the only one out there from a marketing standpoint. But you know, we have a competitor who is outbidding us on our own branded name, and they're posting. Google ads with our name in it. And so I'm emailing Google and we're getting it taken down. And like, then they're going back up and I'm emailing Google. And it's like, it's so cyclical. Annoying. It's annoying, but it's also like at the same time, the amount of money they're spending on our branded name for me, it's like, go put that towards your product. Like, go put that towards RD. I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting, like, play to me. It's also agitating um, to sort of have to do that. But like when you're at a smaller company who's trying to come out of the gates, small things like that impact your market awareness. You know, yeah. and the reality is, is I'm going to fight it from Philadelphia. No, I mean, I am, but that's not the reason. But like, you know, you protect your brand. And yeah. but you also sort of think about this as a marketer who is an upcoming company. And when you have larger sort of monolithic organizations coming after you like that. It's, you know, part of you just wants to sit down with the people and be like, is that like one, do you really like want to be spending like your time on this, your people's time on this? But like your investment is to come after our our branded name, you know, versus yeah. like customers, your product. So anyways, it's things like that, right? Where you do have to sit down and say like, can I spend against this or like, can I not? So yeah. Um, so I'd say that in market awareness, right? Like decision-making and market awareness is um, is sort of the biggie. And, but that's, I mean, honestly, that's it. Like that's the main thing that we have a conversation with around challenges. Um, I think staying ahead of the curve of like things like on ChatGPT, right? Is interesting, but it's something like we've been innovating on now for about, I don't know, seven months, I think at this point. So, um, you know, we're, we're good there, but I think it's like staying, staying well done there is, you know, is always going to be a challenge for any organization that works with, you know, artificial intelligence and yeah. within the e-commerce space, which is just going to keep growing. So, yeah. And it just goes so fast all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chat GPT was like, pow. Yeah. Uh, we have like a sick, amazing engineering and product department who could just like figure it out and see what our AI with ChatGPT right looks like because the T in ChatGPT is for transformers, but we're already using transformers, right? And so mm-hmm. like we have the ability to like test that out and again stay sort of creative technically, but you know, keeping those folks going and staying innovative is a challenge for anyone. But um yeah. The ours is market awareness. That's the mm-hmm. That's the beating the head. I'll give our hey, team. Has our team um, talked to you guys about brand AI? Maybe Ashley. Maybe okay, I probably. But it's pretty cool. I don't cool. want to say it's, no because I don't know. It's basically, uh, it's a tech, which is AI driven, um, but it it essentially will 
suppress your ads uh, if there's ever a time where your competitors are not bidding. So like there are usually sometimes like hours of the day or maybe certain geographies where, where, um, Mm -hmm. or even like they may, a lot of times competitors will do those conquesting attempts, like in surges, like they'll really blast ads for like two weeks and then they'll like turn them off for a little while. Yeah. Um, but brand AI is a cool tech that will basically, if you don't need to be running the ad or like paying for the click, it will basically suppress it. Hmm. I'll, I, I can tell you more about it later. Yeah. Okay. But I also have some um, pretty clever, like competitive sort of, uh, not espionage, but competitive, like, you know, how to fight back maybe on a small budget, which we sure. should do it. We should do a I'm, jam session one time. All right. I'm into that. I would love that. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love continuously filling out Google forms and I'll keep doing it. Um, yeah anything else helps so i'm thinking about youtube like ranking for their name on youtube would probably be pretty easy (laughs) (laughs) anyway whoever that competitor is you better watch out you're they're bidding on my branded name Uh, yeah we'll just rank organically on them yeah (laughs) (laughs) um cool so uh let's let's move to the lightning round here all right, let's do It'll it. It'll be very quick. I'll ask you three questions and just shoot from the hip with your answer. Okay. All right. So question number one is, if you were to start a side hustle, what side hustle would that be? Hmm. I would be a therapist. <laughs> a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Professional. Right. For like, but like for the professional world, I think that would be my... That would be my side hustle. That definitely goes in line with your topic today. So that yeah. is fitting. Yeah. I feel like I have always been that person in my family and groups of friends since I literally can remember of the one they call. So I think if yeah. I could put it towards professional coaching um, and I, you know, it make act, might make, make actually uh, listen to my own advice sometimes too. Yeah. True that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, number two is top three books or authors or uh, influencers that have had a big impact on you from a career perspective. Um, I really like Cal Newport. Um, I read a lot of his books and blog, uh, which was funny when I started working for Rob G because he's like a huge fan too. And, um, Glennon Doyle, uh, I listened to her podcast. I've read a couple of her books and then, uh, <laughs> there's one book I'm now reading a second time. Um, it's the art of not giving an F, uh, that I've really enjoyed. And I read it a couple of years ago and someone, uh, had encouraged me to like read it again, uh, just like a stressful couple of months, right. In like the personal world. And so reading that helped me like rebalance myself. And I just finished that. And, but I'm always like reading a world war two book at the same time. Yeah. Anything else. So nice. Yeah. 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 And then you want to know what funny though. I do have like, I have a, I have a bit of a work Bible actually right in front of me called, I'm not religious, but if it were a work Bible, that's what I would call it. It's called Fierce Conversations, and you can see all my tabs in it. 
Wow. That thing's like maybe eight years old, but I still use it. I still use it when I think about prioritization and delegation and tough conversations and um, the points of holding meetings and why people are there. Um, mm, I could not awesome. tell you who created Fierce Conversations, but I'm a big fan. So That's awesome. I might have to pick that one up. Yeah. I, like I literally take pictures of pages and I like send them to people on my team where I'm like, Oh, the problem we talked about today, like this is super relevant, you know? So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So it just dawned on me. You may be the first guest in history where the third question, because the third question is what do you do to avoid burnout and to help your team avoid burnout? Which was Back basically and listen the, to the podcast we just recorded is what I'll do. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> that's a great answer. Yeah. I don't know. We do like fun things too. Like we played, we did um, like a happy hour and you chose like whatever you drank. Right. And um, you know, tea or wine or beer or whatever. And everybody got a kit for what they wanted to drink during that time. And we played code names online and it was really funny. That's um, cool. And so, yeah, I think there's sort of those sorts of things too. There's things the company facilitates and then all of the other things we talked about for the last 30 minutes. So, right. Right. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Courtney Ostermeal, CMO of Constructor, uh, amazing marketer, incredibly impressive. I continue to be impressed by you every time we talk. So um, yeah. if you guys like this, if you learned something, if you laughed, drop us a like, a comment, share this with a friend. They will probably enjoy it. And Courtney, uh, for folks that are listening that want to learn more about you and or Constructor, where would you direct them? Uh, I guess LinkedIn. LinkedIn? Yeah. Or email, cool. which is very long, Courtney.ostermeal at Constructor.io. Yep. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely <laughs> include your LinkedIn handle uh, here as well as Constructors in the okay. show notes. Yeah, that sounds great. Sweet. All right. Stay on the line. Just one second. We'll wrap. Okay. Sounds good. Bye-bye, everyone. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free. No hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.